Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri, and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Glory be to God. Tisha, we're so thankful for your story. She's over at Blue Springs right now. Would you just let her know how thankful you are? Tisha, thank you for sharing your story with us. I'll see you tonight at First Step. Two years ago, first time we ever did Tip Your City, Tisha was a life that was changed. Thank you, whoever you were that loved her so well in really tangible ways. We're doing this again. So after church today, grab your people, go to the restaurant of your choice, go in big on the tip. Generosity is a core value of a church because it's a core value of Christianity. And I promise as you do, there will be somebody's life that has changed again. You know what Jesus said? We're to be a generous city. Generosity. I just think this is so clever. Don't you? This is how Jesus described the church. In Matthew chapter five, he said the church is to be a shining city set up on a hill that cannot be hid. He said, even so let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jesus was teaching that people are far more impacted by what they see than anything we could say. And so we're in a campaign called Irresistible for the next two years. We're focusing on being intentional and put the gospel on display in irresistible ways. And so today as you go out, whatever community, whatever city you're in, all over America, right here locally in Kansas City, minister in the name of Jesus by going in generously. And I said this in the last service, I'll say it again, because we all have limited kingdom dollars. If you need to give out there today what you would normally give in here, today I want you to give out there. Go in big with your server. And I thank you very much as your pastor for the way you have faithfully, sacrificially, financially supported the mission and vision of our church over and over again. But today, if you need to choose, I want you to go in big because we want to be a generous city, showing generosity to our community. Why is that? Because living generously is how we present the gospel irresistibly. And that's what Jesus was teaching. Now, I'm convinced many of us would live more generously if we had more margin financially. And so as we began the series a week ago, we began talking about the margin mentality. And I told you this series is not really about money as much as it is about a mentality. And if you want to live generously, you need a margin mentality, meaning you need to position your lifestyle so that you can live at about 80% of your income. So you have some margin. So you should live on what I call the 10 10 80 plan in some fashion. What is the 10 10 80 plan? You're living on about 80% of your income. You're saving about 10% for your future, and then you're giving about 10% of your income to kingdom causes. Uh, I'm talking about gospel causes that's going to impact the eternal. Now you say, Phil, that's just not real. I'm trying to tell you the ideal. For some of us, it's not real. Maybe you need to start with the 85 5 10 plan. Yes? Or maybe you go with the 95 and 5 plan. Eventually, you might go with the 60 2020 plan. Or maybe you go with the 72 12 16. 16? Somebody, you get the point, right? 
You, you get the point. Here's the point. Start somewhere. If you need help, listen, so many people have gone through Financial Peace University. We're going to be launching again an opportunity online and on site. And what Dave Ramsey's been doing for many years is helping people get margin, learning how to live with margin, pay off debt so you have more and more margin to live financially freely so you can live increasingly with generosity. Now, that's the margin mentality, but today I want to talk about the management mentality. Living generously means living with a management mentality. On the one side, you have the margin mentality. Flip the coin over, you got the management mentality. And we should live within this management mentality, not ownership, but management, meaning we need a different paradigm of thinking. What I mean by that is this. We must recognize that we own nothing. God owns everything. Now, see, most of us think, oh, no, I bought my house. I own that house. I got the title to prove it. Now, wait a minute. Who gave you the ability to buy that house? You didn't get that house without God's help. It's by the grace of God you had the ability to buy that house. Somebody says, oh, no, I own my car. I bought my car. I worked hard for my car. Now, wait a minute. I want you to see that God owns that car. You know why? Because he gave you the ability, apart from which you wouldn't have the ability. You wouldn't even have the opportunity to buy that car. And so we need as Christians to realize that God is the author of all that we are. He's the author of all that we have, which means I'm not an owner. I'm a manager of what God entrusts to me personally. And that is over and over again declared in the scriptures, Deuteronomy 10, 14, indeed heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God and the earth with all that is in it. I mean, God's the maker. He is the creator. That means he's the owner of it. I want you to see James 1, 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brother, and every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Every single day I go home, I turn into my driveway, and I thank God. God, thank you for letting me live here. I never dreamed I'd get to live somewhere like here. I told you last week, I live on the farm. It was my dream 25 years ago. I live on the farm. Hey, you know what I say, though? I don't own it. Yes, I pot it, but I don't own it. I just get to take care of it till somebody else lives there. Somebody lived there before I did. Somebody will live there after me. But for a short time, in this moment in time, God allows me to take care of it. It's, it's his farm. The house you live in is his house. We have to start seeing God as the owner and author because everything good that we have is a gift from God. It's by the grace of God. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? So much for my body, my choice. Even my body isn't mine. It's by the grace of God I have breath in my body. It is a gift of God. My heart is going to beat one more time. You see, my body is not mine. These hands aren't mine. These eyes aren't mine. These feet aren't mine. I don't get to do whatever I want to because God is the author. He's the owner of my life. He has purchased me. He has pardoned me. Our life is not our own for we were bought at a price, the blood of Jesus Christ. And so what it means is I need to see him as the owner of everything I have and all that I am, which means I'm simply a steward of what belongs to God as Christians we're not called to be owners, but faithful managers or stewards of all that God gives us. Now, stewardship is the biblical term. We think in terms of management today, but the Bible uses the term steward. What is a steward? A steward is somebody entrusted to take care of and manage somebody else's stuff. 
And this is what the New Testament teaches. It says in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. And so the reality is one day we're gonna stand before God in eternity and he's going to evaluate our faithful stewardship of the life that he's given us, which means ultimately I have to be a steward or a manager of my abilities, opportunities, my energy and money ultimately to leverage and use for godly priorities. Kingdom causes, the thing that lasts forever. There will come a day that we will stand before God as a child of God at the judgment seat of Christ and we will stand before the Son of God, and he will judge us, listen carefully, not for our sin, for it was already placed on him. He's already judged us for our sin. No, the judgment seat of Christ is the New Testament judgment of the believer. And the Apostle Paul taught that one day we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and he's going to judge us, not for our sin, but our service to him. And he's going to reward us accordingly for how we served him in this life. Did we live self-centeredly? Did we live selfishly for the things of this world that are fleeting, that don't last forever? Or did we use our lives, as we say it abundant life, to see lives changed by Jesus? The only two things in this world that last forever is the word of God and the souls of men. If you're not using your life to advance the word of God into the souls of men, you're using your life for things that don't matter. Therefore, you will have lived a life that did not impact the forever, which means we need to recognize we've all been given by God some ability and opportunity. How we will use them is this little snippet of time that we get. Matthew 25, Jesus taught a parable, Matthew 25. You have a copy of God's word, open up your Bible, or maybe open up your phone. Back in the old days, we said open up your, your Bible. Now it's open up your phone, because you got your Bible on your phone. Read along with me, a very famous parable. What is a parable? It's a story. Jesus would often share stories as object lessons, and he wants to share an object lesson through the story of what it means to be a faithful steward of our opportunities, our abilities, our energy, our money, our time, our talents, our treasure. God is an investor. And did you know that you are in God's investment portfolio? And as one that has been invested in from above, the day is coming, he wants to settle accounts. He wants what he invested in you back with eternal interest. And so Jesus tells this story, this parable of the talents is what we call it in Matthew 25. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. Now this man is God himself. Uh, he's in a far country. Jesus has ended back into heaven and the servants represent you and I. He says, he calls his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. So in Jesus' day, a talent was a measure of weight, and it was also a measure of money. A talent was a very large sum of money. One talent had 6,000 denarii, and one denarius was one day's wage on average. And so even the man just given one talent was entrusted with an enormous sum of money. 
So you have this wealthy man, he's going on a long trip, and he trusts his servants with his money. And what he tells them is, I want you to invest it wisely. When I come back, I want to settle up with you, and I expect to have interest on my dollars. I want you to use them wisely and invest them wisely. See, God is teaching. He has invested in everything we have in us, apart from which we wouldn't have anything. And he's looking for an investment of our abilities, an investment of our opportunities, an investment of our money that will give him an eternal return. I'm talking about the souls of men and the souls of women. And so he goes away to a far country telling his servants, I want you to give me a return on my investment. And do you understand that God ultimately is looking at you and what he's saying is, can I trust you? It's kind of like when you invest today, and I hope that you're investing some dollars already into your future. Uh, We don't like in my house to call it retirement, but we are investing for our redefinement. There will come a day, Pastor Phil's no longer your pastor, I'm not going to retire, I'm going to refire. That's what you do. Uh, And here's the point, you need to be planning ahead. I told you last week, decisions are like dollars, you will get them back with interest. And so if you are indeed planning for your redefinement someday, you're investing already in some way. Now, now imagine for a moment that you invest with a financial planner, financial advisor, and for years and years you're giving him your money that God has given you, believing he's investing it for you, and you fully expect to get it back someday with interest, don't you? All right, now imagine you're giving that person your money that God has given you, thinking they're investing it for you, and you fully expect one day to get a return on your investment, but you find out years later he hasn't been investing it in you for your future. He's been using it for himself instead to buy yachts and homes and houses and go on vacation. You would be absolutely furious, wouldn't you? Now listen, this really happened. I mean, think about Bernie Madoff. Have you heard of Bernie Madoff? You remember Bernie Madoff? He was arrested in 2009. You know why he was arrested in 2009, sent to prison, recently died in prison? Bernie Madoff went to prison because he made off with other people's money. I'm not making this up. That was his name. Yeah, he was arrested and ultimately sentenced for the largest Ponzi scheme ever in history. Over the course of 20 years, thousands of people had invested with him, and he had stolen from them $65 billion, billion with a B. Thousands of people had invested thinking they were going to get a return on their investment, only to find out he'd been using their money for himself. Do you understand what God is teaching? For some of us, he has invested in us. He's given all of us a measure of talent, just like he gave one five and one two, another man one. He has not invested in all of us equally. We all have our own individual ability. He's blessed each of us uniquely, but you'd better make sure he's gonna get a return on that investment because the day is coming, we're gonna settle up with him. And he's going to look at us and go, I want a return on my investment. Did you invest your life in the things that matter, that last forever, the word of God and the souls of men, or did you only invest your life in the life that I gave you with your time, your talents, and treasures and things only to benefit you? And I want you to see what Jesus is teaching. God has blessed all of us individually and uniquely with a level of ability to impact kingdom priorities. Yes, God knows you need to buy groceries. Yes, he does. 
Yes, he knows you need to buy gasoline. Yes, he does. Yes, he knows you need to pay for your education, soccer cleats, dance recitals. Need I go on? Yes, he knows life is expensive. And that's why he's promised Philippians 4.19 to supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But he doesn't expect you simply to use what he's given you on you. He wants you to leverage what he's given you to invest in the future. I'm talking about the eternal, living with the long view. Because the day is coming, he's going to settle up. Now the issue in this parable is not how much each had been given, but what they did with what they'd been given. See, some of us are five-talent people. A few of us have been given much, a large platform with a large opportunity, with uh, lots and lots of ability. Some of us have been given a little opportunity with a little ability, and we have less money. The issue is not what you have, but rather being faithful with what you have. It's the decision to leverage what you have and do what you have in the way that will last forever, investing in kingdom priorities. Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So the question is, whose kingdom are you investing in? See, we really want to invest in our kingdom. We really do. We all want to have a kingdom of our own and invest in my life. And eventually that kingdom will rust, decay, and fade away. But on the other hand, if you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he sees someone he can trust. You see, the question we ask in the Christian life is, can I really trust God? But do you understand what Jesus is teaching in this parable? The question is not, can you trust God? You can trust God. The question is, can God trust you? I prayed 23 years ago, God, make me a person you can trust. I want to be a person that God can invest in. In the same way an investor will decide where to invest money based on the past record of that stock or that bond or whatever that portfolio is. In the very same way, God is looking at your past record. Were you faithful with this? If you're faithful with this, he can now trust you with this. If you're faithful with this, he can now trust you with this. Listen, you don't start being a five-talent person till you're faithful with that one talent God's given you. And 23 years ago, I literally prayed as we were just beginning our church, God, I promise, and I still pray this to this day, God, I promise, whatever you entrust me with, I will only use for your glory, not my glory. God, I will only use for your name, for your fame, not my name. It's not my kingdom come, my will be done. God, whatever you give me, whatever you trust me with. And there was a day we were a one-talent church 23 years ago. I told you that story, starting in that little brick building, and we're just that one-talent church. And God looked down from heaven and says, okay, I'm gonna invest another talent. I'm gonna give them a little more opportunity. I'm gonna give them a little more ability and invest another talent. And we were faithful with that talent. Today, we're a five-talent church with enormous opportunity, with an enormous ability to impact eternity and God is still looking at our church can I trust that bride had abundant life to build my kingdom can I trust that bride had abundant life to give themselves for a worthy cause the souls of men the redemption of women and that's what he's looking now at your life are you that kind of person God can trust will you invest what you have in the things that matter see we've all been given something we haven't all been given the same, 
but we've all been given something. What will you do with what you have? Now it says in verse 16, then he who'd received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he that received the two gained two more. You have these first two servants that took what the master had given him and they invested it wisely and they doubled it. See, he's going to get a return on investment. But then you have this one that was given the one talent. Look what he does. But he who had received the one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. What happens? This one invests it in the world. He digs, he hides it in the things of the earth. And the things of this earth is fleeting. It doesn't last forever. And that's what Jesus is out teaching. If you use the one talent, whatever God has given you, and you use it only on the things of this world, listen, 1 John 2, 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone love the world, the love of the Father's not in him, and all that is in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away, and everything in it. See, if the only thing we do is invest in the things of the world, Jesus does not get a return on the investment he made. And this man goes and he hides it in the earth. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And the day is coming. We're all going to stand before Jesus and we're going to settle accounts. And what we are learning is this, to whom much is given, much more is required. Do you know what it says in James 3.1, as a biblical teacher, I'll receive the stricter judgment than you? See, if you get more from God, he expects more from you in return when you settle up with the Son of God. To whom much is given, much more will be required. And this is the principle Jesus taught in a similar parable. God will not hold you accountable for how much you have, only what you do with what you have. So don't worry about what you don't have and just worry about what you do have. And if you're faithful what you do have, God might entrust you with more so that you can return more. And Jesus taught this in Luke 12, 48. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. Meaning when God has given you much, you're more accountable for what you have. This is why I don't talk a lot about the tithe. When I grew up in church, it was always about the tithe. The preacher would talk about the tithe. Did you know the tithe is never mentioned in the New Testament for a reason? It's mentioned in the Old Testament. Now, we live under the New Covenant, not the Old Covenant. And in the New Testament, the tithe is never actually mentioned. Because the principle of the New Testament in terms of giving financially and being a steward of God's money is generosity. And the reason I'm convinced that the tithe is never mentioned in the New Testament is because what is generous for one person is not generous for another person. What takes great faith for one person takes no faith for another. Now, what is the tithe? The tithe means tenth. The tithe is a guide in the New Testament, but the tithe itself is not a mandate of the New Testament. What's a mandate as Christians is generosity. And so for one person, giving a tenth of their income is greatly generous. For another person, it's not generous. For one person, it takes enormous faith. For somebody else, it doesn't take any faith. You see, the reality is we're all responsible for 100% of our income, not just a tenth. If I made $400 last week, how much of that $400 belongs to God? All of it. 
not just a tenth of it. And when we recognize God is the owner of all that I have, suddenly the way I look at my money is different. It's no longer how much of my money should I give back to God. It's how much of God's money should I use on me. And as you pray prayerfully, God will give you a place to begin, a plan consistently, giving a portion of your dollars to impact eternity. Today, if you need to take some of your kingdom dollars and give it to that server to love her generously or love him generously to impact that soul in a way that is tangibly, irresistibly, I want you to do that today. Because that's what God has entrusted all of us with. We have an opportunity. Imagine hundreds, even thousands of people all moving together, not just in our city of Kansas City, but in communities around the country. The powerful synergy, the multiplied energy, when the body of Christ moves together, that's when we become that shining city. It's every single one of us moving together, living generously. That's why Tisha's life was changed. No, we could not have planned that two people come into her diner and love her well and show her generosity, and a few minutes later, two more people came into her diner and did exactly the same thing. Only the Holy Spirit can do this stuff. And God knows who he wants to intersect your life with on a daily basis. And as you do that, that divine appointment, you step into that, and all of a sudden you're leveraging your opportunity to impact somebody's life for eternity, but to whom much is given, much is required. Are you a manager? It takes a management mentality. So I was 16 years of age. I just got my driver's license. And my dad gave me the keys to the family car. It wasn't my car, it was his car. The problem is I didn't have a management mentality. I didn't have the maturity to handle it responsibly. So I have never admitted this openly. And a year ago, he'd have been sitting right there. I don't know if I would have done it a year ago. I don't know if people in heaven can hear us. I'm not sure. If he can hear me now, someday I'll see him. I'll see him soon, Dad. We'll talk about it then, okay? So I've been driving a week. My dad generously trusted me with his keys. And I remember going around a curve, an S-curve, so fast that I lost it. I lost it bad. I'm talking laying laying rubber. I mean, I mean, almost completely lost it. Went into the ditch, off the road, literally came this close to a telephone pole. My window was down, it's like, oh, there's the pole. Now, I thought, he will never know. He'll never know. It should have been a wake-up call. It wasn't. So a week later, once again, he generously gives me his keys. It's not my car, but I don't have a management mentality. I'm now driving with a girl in the car. She doesn't have her license. I pull up to a stop sign. She asks me if she can drive. I did the only logical thing. I scoot over so she can drive. (laughs) And she immediately turns the car into a ditch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like, you know, adrenaline dump. I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead. I don't know how, but I get this car out of the ditch. I push it out of the ditch. And I think, I have escaped again. I've escaped again. No, I had not escaped. A week later, he's underneath the car changing the oil. And he's pulling asphalt, chunks of asphalt from underneath the car, chunks of asphalt from the axle. He says, son, what did you do? 
I did the only logical thing. I lied. <laughs> Dad, about that. Yeah, I hit this huge pothole. All right, that should have been a wake-up call. I should be growing up to handle wisely being a steward of my dad's car, but it wasn't. A week later, I've got two girls in the car. I rear in the car in front of me. Had three stars on the windshield where our foreheads hit. At that moment, my dad took away the keys. Son, you're not driving anymore. You're a danger to yourself and everybody else. See, I didn't have a management mentality. I lost my privilege. You know what happens to this one man with the one talent? The issue was not that he had one talent. The issue is that he wasted it. He couldn't be trusted with it. And guess what? In the end of this parable, God takes it away from him. See, if you don't use what God has given you, even that one talent, one day you're going to lose it if you don't wisely use it. And for some of us here, you've been distracted driving. For some of us here, you've been careless driving. For some of us here, God's reaching into our bacon account and what he sees is asphalt, chunks of asphalt. He's reading our calendar, how we use our time, and he's looking asphalt because we've been careless, because we've been distracted. We haven't been living for the things that matter that last forever. Here we are, a five-talent church. God has given us more ability, more opportunity to impact eternity than ever before. We are going into the city. Crossroads is launched. Easter is the big public launch in the crossroads, the heart of Kansas City. And we want to go into the city, being that shining city, showing the love of God in an irresistible way. One of the ways we're going to do that is with a counseling center. So the next thing we're going to do, part of our irresistible campaign is take 1822 Cherry that's right next to 1840 Cherry. That's the church house that used to be a warehouse. And we're gonna take this 1890s firehouse and we're gonna make it into an abundant life counseling center. I want you to hear right now from our Crossroads campus pastor, Chad Glover. So with the Impossible Campaign, we wanted to reach new people in new places. And even right now, we're sitting here in the Crossroads campus, construction is going on, I'm hearing drills being run and machinery going on, and God has allowed us to get to this place thus far. But with this next run with the Irresistible Campaign, we wanna put the love of God on display in an irresistible way in the current places where God has us and also in new places. So even when we started talking about the Crossroads Campus a couple of years ago, we started praying and, and asking God, how can we really minister to the people in the city the way that you want us to? And then we started just saying, what are some needs in the city where people aren't really you know, meeting that need currently? And so we thought, man, well, the first thing we need to do is we need to have church. <laughs> you know, we need to be who we are and we want to be consistent with that. And so we're here sitting in this place where we're going to be having church. It's going to be incredible. And then secondly, we thought, you know, who, who has God called Abundant Life to be? What are some of the things that we have done as a church historically to put the love of God on display in an irresistible way? And then what are the needs here in the city that we can meet? Well, a counseling center is what came to mind. Man, we've been counseling people at one of our campuses in Lee Summit for years, and we've been training the next generation of counselors so that people can find hope and healing in Jesus Christ. So here at the Crossroads, I am so excited to um, have the counseling center as part of that ministry. So what the counseling department can do is help fulfill any holes that are in, um, in relationally or emotionally, 
or uh, even mentally um, so that makes that person a whole person so that they are better to able to serve God in the capacity that at 100% of who they are in God's image. So two years ago, this month, you all gave $2 million in one offering in one day. And that is why dreams become realities. Never underestimate what a people can do that's united in purpose and in heart. The church is an unstoppable force for the gospel when we move together. And because of your generosity, today we're launching the Crossroads Campus. That 1940s warehouse is now a beautiful church house, and lives are going to be changed there for decades to come. Now what we're going to do, we're going to do this again this month. I want you to pray between now and the end of the month about your very best offering, a sacrificial gift that's going to be directly given to a kingdom cause. This 1890s firehouse is going to be renovated into Sunday school space on Sunday morning for the kids at that campus, as well as a counseling center through the week to bring hope to the heart of our city. So I'm asking you to pray about your very best gift on that day and a two-year commitment of your kingdom dollars to this worthy kingdom cause. And I want you to know what Jesus is teaching in this parable is that if you invest your life into the eternal instead of the temporal, God will find you faithful. And that is the goal of the Christian life, to use our life not for the temporal, but the eternal, knowing that one day we stand before him, and the most what we want to hear, the number one thing we want to hear is you were faithful. And Jesus says this twice to the servant that made five talents ten, and the two talents became four. They invested wisely when they stood before him. And he says these words in Matthew 25, 21, the Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant, you were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now the problem with the one talent is not that person had been given one talent, but that they wasted it. They squandered it. The question is, how will you live your life? And for what will you live your life? The things that matter that last forever or the things in the end will rust decay and fade away. Imagine standing before Jesus someday, and here's what Jesus says to that one that wasted the talent he'd been given. You wicked and lazy servant. Well done, good and faithful, or wicked and lazy. That's the issue one day when we stand before him to give an account. What will you do for what will you live? Somebody says, well, Phil, I'm just a one-talent guy. Listen, the heroes of the kingdom are one talent men and women. The heroes of the kingdom are not the five talent people everybody's heard of. The heroes of the kingdom are one talent men and women. They haven't been given a lot, but what they've been given, they are faithful. I wanna tell you the story of a one talent man that lived a million dollar life. A one talent man that lived a million dollar life in time and also eternity. Here's what a real hero looks like right here. This is my dad, and he's holding me and my sister on his lap. My dad was a one-talent man by definition. He was a farm kid, came to Kansas City without a dime in 1959. He never held an important position. He never held an important title. He did not have a large platform. He wasn't given great opportunity. He never ever made a lot of money, but he was faithful with what he'd been given. I look in his eyes now. He died 
March the 14th, a year ago, and I look in those eyes, and they're tired in those eyes. You know why they're tired in those eyes? Because I guarantee when this picture was taken, he'd either just gotten up for work or he'd just gotten home from work. Now, there's no tired in the eyes of those two little kids on his lap. Yeah, all was well in the world. You know why? Because he was fighting battles so his kids didn't have to. So I remember my dad well. And he would take a 16-hour shift anytime he could. He was a working man. He worked for 41 and a half years loading insulation onto 18-wheelers in Kansas City, Kansas. For 41 and a half years, he worked on a dock, a blue-collar man. I know for sure he never made more than $45,000 in any one year in his entire life because that little girl there, I just talked to her this week. And guess what she said? It was in the early 90s that she'd been married a couple of years she told my dad that between the two of them, they were making about $45,000, to which he said, well, honey, congratulations, you now make more than your old man. I'm trying to tell you this because a lot of people think, well, I don't have a lot to give. There's not much I can do. I haven't been given much. And I want you to understand this is a working man that lived a million-dollar life, not just for time, but for eternity. This is the house he lived in for 36 years. He didn't have a mortgage since the 1980s. See, he lived with a margin mentality because he had a margin mentality. He had a management mentality. He could have gone out and bought a bigger house with a larger mortgage, but he lived out 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for it's certain you brought nothing into the world, and it's certain you're bringing nothing with you when you leave the world. <laughs> He lived with contentment. He didn't need a better house. Now listen, there is nothing wrong with seeking promotion. There's nothing wrong with seeking a job to make more money. There's nothing evil about money. The issue is not how much you have or how little you have. There's nothing immoral about having lots and lots of money. But here's the deal. If you don't learn contentment, it won't matter how much money you have. Your money will always have you. If you don't learn to live with margin now, it won't matter how much money you make, you'll spend all you have. And the reason he could live with margin is he worked hard, but he also practiced contentment. Now I want you to know, it's not wrong to have lots of money and have lots of nice stuff. That is not a sin. In fact, 1 Timothy 6.10 is one of the most miscommunicated, misspoken verses in the entire Bible. Somebody said, well, you know what the Bible says? Money's the root of all evil. No, it's not. That's not what the verse is. What's it say, church? Oh, it's a good Sunday school class here. Yeah, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. See, it's not having money that's evil. It's the love of money. Because then the money has you. Here's a man that was content with what he had. I, I, I grew up in this house. This is the house I grew up in, and I shared a room with my brother. It was one of those little bitty bedrooms in a 900-square-foot ranch, and there was a double bed in the bedroom and a dresser in the bedroom, and there was literally no more room except to turn in and turn around and lay down. That was it. I didn't just share a bedroom with my brother till I was 16, I shared a bed with my brother till I was 16. I'm telling you that because there's this mentality, well, you know, if you're a millionaire, it was all given to you. We lived in an age at one time in America where success was celebrated, it's not anymore. Sameness is now celebrated. And there's this mentality that, you know, if somebody's a millionaire, they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth, 
Not true. According to Dave Ramsey, who did a 10,000 millionaire study where he studied 10,000 American millionaires, what he found out is 79% of them never received any inheritance from anybody, and only 2% of American millionaires received more than $100,000 of inheritance. Most millionaires are self-made. And I know for a fact, my blue-collar daddy that never made more than $45,000 a year understood, as I told you last week, that decisions are like dollars. You get them back with interest because week after week, month after month, year after year, he had the margin mentality and the management mentality to very quietly yet consistently take his nickels and dimes and invest them into the future so that by the time he died last year, this was his net worth. I told you, a one-talent man that lived a million-dollar life. Now, I had no idea. He was very, very private about money. He taught me early on, money's private. You don't talk about it. You don't ask somebody else how much they're worth. You don't ask how much they make. I didn't even ask my dad. What I knew, though, is that when he retired at 62 years of age, he lived the next 20 years of his life comfortably. He did about anything he wanted to. And it was because he lived with a margin mentality and faithfully, consistently invested those dollars into his future. Now, I want you to know, he wasn't just investing financially so that he could live a life that was cozy and comfortably. He was also investing in the things of eternity. Now, I will never do this to you, I promise. To this day, I don't know who gives what to abundant life. I know a lot of people give, or we wouldn't be doing what we're doing, going where we're going, but I will never, ever pull your giving record. I don't know what you give. I don't know who gives. I don't want to be changed by money. That's why I don't ask. I don't want to look at you differently because of money. That's why I don't ask. I don't want to be manipulated by money. That's why I don't ask. I don't know who gives what. But I did it one time this week. And I would have never done it while my dad was alive. I would have never told his story. But now he's in heaven. I don't think he cares. And if he does care, dad, I'll see you soon. We'll talk about it there. So this week I asked our CFO, Pull my dad's giving record, I'm curious. Since 2005, till the day he died in March a year ago, on a retirement income, he had given $178,370 to the kingdom causes of abundant life. This is a one-talent man. that lived a million dollar life, not just in time, but for eternity. You know why? Because he had a margin mentality. He had a management mentality. And for him, every spending decision was a spiritual decision. And he wasn't just investing financially. He was investing his life personally. No, he never had a large platform. Nobody will ever remember his name, but I'm trying to tell you, it's the one-talent people that are the kingdom heroes. The world will not remember, but they will be remembered forever in heaven. And for the last 20 years, he's been taking the word of God, investing it into the souls of men. This is our discipleship book. We've used it for years. This was his Bible. 
And the discipleship book says a lot about him. He has it scotch taped together. Like, Dad, we would have given you a new book. That wasn't my dad's way. He drove a 1988 Nissan pickup till 2015. That's how he created margin. And when I opened up the inside of his discipleship book, he had post-it notes on the inside of all the names of various men he has personally discipled through the years. Jerry Slagle, who's also now in heaven. Danny Kane, Andy Standridge, Harold Arnsmeyer, who's also now in heaven. Uh, John Demicky. You see, for the last 20 years, he wasn't just giving his money. He was giving his life personally. This is what God's called us all to do. We all have opportunity. God's invested in all of us some ability. How will you use it? And if you're not taking the word of God, investing in the souls of men and women, you're investing in things that will not last. It will not matter. I'm trying to tell you today, you have but one life to live and it'll soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You don't get to choose how you're going to die. You don't get to choose when you're going to die, but you get to choose today how you will live. And for what will you live? And one day I'm going to stand before Jesus and I want to hear those words that I know my dad heard a year ago, March the 14th. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler now over many things. Enter in to the joy of your Lord. What a day that will be when our Jesus we will see. Let's stand together right now. I want to pray before our God at every campus and every church house. Would you stand with us? I wanna pray for this tip your city day, this tip your city moment. As thousands of us go out in this city and even beyond in other communities around the country to put God's love on display in a really tangible way. Let's pray for lives to be changed. Jesus, I pray right now for these servers in our city and in various other communities around the country as we move together as a church family to live generously, to put the gospel on display irresistibly. Lord, we thank you for Tisha's story and we pray for more stories like them over and over again in the years ahead. Lord, decisions are like dollars. We get them back with interest. I pray that we would make the decision to impact destinations. I pray blessing, God, over every person here, that, God, your gracious hand would be upon them, that your gracious hand, God, would be with them, that you would look at your bride at abundant life, and that you would say again, that is a church that I can trust. That's a church that I can invest in. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you give Jesus the glory with me? Praise him, would you? Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.